0: Today's scripture reading comes from Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let us pray. Father God, I would just want to thank you for this morning bringing us here um, helping us to be present with you, Lord, and these truths that you've shared with us this morning. May Pastor Rick be able to present those and bring them to light, that our hearts would turn to you and that we would not wander. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your precious name. Amen. All right. If you can see, it's not a very big table. Here is a table full of stuff that if this makes you feel nostalgic, you're, you're dating yourself pretty good, pretty good. So here on my left, on your right, is old school tech right here. You would consider this to be some pretty antiquated technology here. The old rotary phone is a bit old school and antiquated because you could only go as far as the cord would allow you to go, right? Right. And it's antiquated because if you happen to be of a sufficient age and you've ever used one of these, you remember that you start turning the dial over, like the numbers, and if oops, if you didn't exercise precise precision and slightly mess up, you'd have to hang up and start all over again. Like not, not, the, not the most efficient device. It served, I guess, a purpose or kind of sort of back in the day, but a bit obsolete, would you not say? This... It's so much better, like it's so much better. I can call someone from my house, get in a car, and drive to the other side of the continental United States and still hold a phone call, like I'm not tethered to a wall. Not only that, I honestly, like 99% of the calls I make, I don't even have to dial the number. It's stored in my phone. This lets me be way more productive. I can do more, quicker, faster, better with this. The new stuff is good bad stuff, maybe not so much, right? Or how about this? If you remember ever using one of these suckers, an actual typewriter, if you're young enough to have never used one, praise Jesus. Give extra thanks to the Lord, because I remember this in high school. You have to get the typewriter out, and unless you're like extremely good, if the paper isn't perfect, when you type it, it's all cattywampus and all like off and, and terrible. And if you make one little mistake, there's no backspace, like delete function. You have to like release the typesetter, move it over, take white out. If you were even old enough that they had white out at the time, white it out, wait for it to fully dry, set it back, hope that it was still lined up, and then start typing. So back in the 90s, early 90s, when the word processor came out, this was shocking that you could actually type a page, read it, before printing it was massive, was a big deal. I don't know how many people in their right mind would ever just, no, I just want to go back to the typewriter. It's inefficient. It is not very helpful. Like, I'd, ra- I'd just rather use the new tech. This is obsolete. Uh, here's another one a Sega Genesis, like these are the best, best graphics, the best video games ever created, the speed, the functionality, these games, top notch, if it's 1994, (laughs) you fast forward almost 30 years later, it just, this does not compare with the PlayStation, or the Xbox, in the just the, the quality of the graphics and the play and the interaction of it. Or, who remembers these? Old-school cassette player, right? I remember, I remember this, and uh, it was fine. The cassettes, tapes that we used to have, they were wonderful until the ribbon inside the tape did what? Until it broke, and inevitably it would happen. Anytime you had a tape, it would break. Or if you're driving around in your 1988 Ford Thunderbird turbo coupe, like some people, (laughs) and you got your Pioneer sounds to do anything about it, I'd rather use my phone because there's like, I lost count, dated, antiquated, that's obsolete technology. Uh, I wonder that to our 50 inch LED 1080i TV. Go backwards to a time before indoor plumbing or electricity in the house, or before refrigeration, before air conditioning. How many of us want to go back before microwaves? No, like none of us would. Why? All that stuff is outdated. It's outmoded. It's obsolete. New technology has come. The new has advanced. And and here we are. The old is obsolete. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to be very much reminded of one thing this morning. Your life has been upgraded. Your life has been advanced. Your life has been um, upgraded in every way. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, or if you're a Christian, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are a new creation. The old has passed. There's something that's old that's obsolete. You don't need it anymore. The new has come. Or Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you have given your life over to follow after Jesus, God has upgraded you. He's advanced you. There's something that is former, that is old, that is now obsolete. You are now new. You've received a brand new life. You are a new creation. You've received a brand new life with new blessings. You have a new status before God. You have a right standing before God. You now have a father-child relationship with God, that's brand new. You now have like new gifting, spiritual gifts that God gives you in order to live a life of greater things, doing this wonderful good stuff that God wants us to do in this world. You've received in Christ a heavenly status. You've received a divine title. Scripture says that you are a citizen of heaven if you are in Christ. In every way, in every way, you have been upgraded and you have been advanced by the grace of God and through his gospel, you have a new life. So here's the question. Are you living in the new or are you living in the old? And that's the question that we need to wrestle with as we get into our text this morning. So, if you have your Bible with you, I ask you to open up to the Book of Colossians. It's in the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, then Colossians. We're working our way through this book. We're in a sermon series. We're just trying to get our way through it. Actually, we kind of are at the halfway mark. Starting today, and and tonight, uh, or to, not tonight, um, when you have four kids, you lose track of time. So. Um, what we're really doing starting today is we're getting into the real practical aspect of this letter that Paul wrote. The first two chapters are kind of like the big theology, the the doctrinal grounding of everything, and it's because of everything we've read about and studied over the last couple of months. Because of that, then we're to do what it says to do in chapters three and four. So we're in chapter three today looking at verses one through four, and and I just want to use this, this analogy a little bit further. Every day, you have a choice. Every day, you've got a choice. Either you can use the brand new tech that's out there and available, that does make life a little bit simpler, right? Or you can use the old, outdated, former stuff and rotary phones. What Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 shows us is that we have a similar spiritual choice. You have a similar choice. You can either take full advantage of the advantages that God has given you in this new, advanced, upgraded life that he's given, or you can default back to the former, antiquated, outdated, fleshly ways of doing things that don't ever yield any good results. So that's the choice that we have. So Colossians 3, 1 through 4, it urges us to go forward, not backwards. Are you going forward or are you going backwards? It urges us to push full, uh, upward, not downward. So that's the question. Are we? Is my life like headed upward or downward? Is it moving forward or is it moving backwards? And really what the text calls us to do is whatever you do, whatever you do, live in the new. Live in the new life that Christ has won for you. Live in the blessings that he's given to you. Live in the calling that he's given called you to, live in the gifting, live in the empowerment, live in the new, don't live in the old. So in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, the first thing I think we need to do is actually figure out who is being talked to in these verses. Who is Paul addressing? Each of us needs to know whether this text applies to us or not. So you may want to know. Do these verses apply to my life, or do they apply to the person next to me? So that's what we need to do, because before a person can begin living in that new life, they have to be a new person. Only a new person—I'll unpack that here in a second—only a new person can live the new life. And a new person, according to this text, is someone who has died, who has been raised, and is hidden. A new person, someone who's died, who's been raised, and who is hidden. So look at Colossians 3.1. If then you have been raised with Christ, and then look two verses down to verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So that word died there in verse 3. It doesn't refer to physical death. So it doesn't mean that you have Cease to live, that you've died, that some people have gathered for a memorial service in your honor, and that someone at that service read your, your googly. It doesn't, does not mean that. Eulogy for those that just got lost and they get the Zoolander reference. i got to stop with the movie references. Like every time I throw one out, i like, huh, what are you talking about? So anyway, so the word died in verse 3 refers to spiritual death. Not physical death, spiritual death. A new person, so a follower of Jesus, is a person who has spiritually died. And if you look at the tense, the verb tense in that verse, died, it's what? Past tense. So it's something that has happened. It's a definitive moment in the life of a person that they spiritually died. Here's the thing about death. Death brings about an end, right? Like it, I mean, that's what death is. It, it brings about the end of life. And contrary... To the prince's bride, contrary to that, there's no such thing as mostly dead. I know that it claims that there's such a thing as mostly dead, but there's no such thing as mostly dead. Either you're dead or you're not. And if you're dead, you sure enough died. the, The end has come. The end is upon you. You've ended. Your life has ended. It's a definitive moment in the life of a person. And in that definitive moment, there is removal and there is separation. That's what death is. It brings about removal and separation. Why is it that we grieve so much when we lose a loved one? Because that loved one's presence is removed from our life, and we are separated from them. So we grieve that. So that's what death, it's a definitive moment that brings about a removal and a separation. That's what spiritual death is. It's a definitive moment that brings about removal and separation from us. Romans 6, chapter 6. Verse 6 says, We know that our old self, old self, was crucified, past tense, with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So here's the definitive moment. So if someone is, and we have to use words like true Christian or a true believer to qualify that we're not talking about the generic nominal kind, like a real actual follower of Jesus, has had a moment when they were, in fact, crucified with Jesus and died with him. And I want you to know that this is not symbolic. When the scriptures talk about this, this is not a symbolic thing that we talk about. This is a very real and actual thing that took place in the life of an individual, Maybe not a physical death, but it is very much a very real death spiritually that the person has undertaken. They've been crucified, they died, and they came to an end, right? That's what death is. They came to an end. And in that definitive moment, when we die with Christ, life ends, and there is this great removal and this great separation that takes place. Sin's power over us is removed. That's why that Romans text says you're no longer enslaved. We are now free because sin's dominion over us is completely removed off of us. So we don't have to lust, and we don't have to be prideful, and we don't have to be selfish, and we don't have to gossip, and we don't have to be full of malice because sin no longer exercises dominion or control over us. We are free to not do so anymore since power is removed. Or uh, how about this one? The consequences of sin are separated from us. So the moment that you die in Christ, that you have that death with Jesus, judgment that you deserve, that I deserve on account of all of our sin is extracted off of us because Jesus paid for it all. So judgment is removed. We are separated from darkness. We are separated from the eternal consequences of sin. Also, the tyranny of the power of the forces of darkness are separated from us. We always, well, not always, but some of us might hear like there's such thing as curses and these demons that hold this curse. If you're a follower of Jesus, there is no curse. There is no curse You've been liberated from all those forces. They may mess with us. They may tweak at us. They may oppress us in certain ways. But the power that they have and exercise over us is, in fact, fully removed. It has been separated from us. Or how about this one? When we die with Jesus, we are separated from death. That doesn't even make sense. When we die with Christ, we're separated from from death it is because of that that Paul can exclaim in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 55 oh death where is your victory oh death where is your sting we may actually succumb to physical death that day may come when we breathe our last breath and our eyes shut and we go into grave but let me tell you that death cannot hold us and that death cannot it will not hold us if we have died with Christ because those who have died with Christ have also been raised with Christ, and that's what Paul is saying here. So this new person, this true believer, is a person who has died with Christ, and it's a person who has been raised with Christ. That's what it says in verse 3. In that definitive moment, there's a life that ends, and there's a new one that replaces it. Do you know this? We are a new creation. The old has passed. The old is obsolete we've been advanced, we've been upgraded, we've been updated, you could say we've been uploaded uploaded into God's kingdom. We're not citizens of heaven. So the old has been executed. The old has been buried and something new has been raised in its place. So if you're a follower of Jesus, that's you. You have been, again, past tense. You have died with Christ. Now you've been raised with Christ. You're, you're very much alive. Yeah, you died, but you're very much alive. You're alive to God. You're alive to his love. You're alive to his grace. You're alive to the Holy Spirit. You're alive to his promises. You're alive you're a new creation. You know, like, um, I love the picture of baptism, water baptism. It's just, I, I, I love it. I wish we would do baptisms every week. Like, you know what? Everybody's signed up for second and thirties. Like, we just have baptisms every week. Why not? Just have a big pool party every Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. I, I love what it represents. And, and water baptism is a symbol, right? Like Water baptism doesn't actually do anything to the person actually than other than actually physically get them wet. But I, I love what it represents because it represents what's already taken place in the life of a believer. So this is what happens when, when we're baptizing someone. We take them under the water, and that represents death. What happens if we hold the person and keep them there? They die unless they grow gills real quick, right? So they need to do it with the quickness. If they have a mutant power, that's cool. That'll, that'll be neat. But otherwise, they're going to die. <laughs> they're going to die. But then we raise them out of the water, and it represents being raised, being raised with Christ. So I, I would say that, you know, this water baptism, when we practice it, not when, but when we do it, it's, just, it's, it's the most biblical uh, step of obedience that a, a believer should actually undertake in their life at some point. Um, if you are a follower of Christ and you've never given yourself over to water baptism, I would say, let's talk. Let's have a baptism soon. Like, let's, let's, let's get the tub filled, and we'll put it back on the stage, and let's, let's baptize a bunch of people. We are praying currently for God uh, to allow our church to bring 40 people to baptism over the next year. So keep praying, keep praying, keep praying for that. Uh, so anyway, a new person is a person who's died with Christ. It's a person who's been raised with Christ. And thirdly, it's a person who is hidden with Christ. And verse 3 says that. Their life is hidden with Christ. The word hidden here doesn't have that sense of like hide and go seek. It doesn't, it, it's not that God is playing hide and go seek with anything that's important. The word hidden here means more like safeguarded or sheltered. That's the sense in which it's being used. Psalm 27 verse 5 says, for he, referring to God, for he will hide me in his shelter. He'll safeguard me. He'll protect me. He'll hide me in his shelter. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. So I'm sure most of us, when we were younger, or maybe according to some movies, when we're older, still play tag, right? Or maybe we play tag when we were when we were young. And the whole thing is you run around, you run around like a crazy person because someone is it, right? And you try not to get tagged. But if you can make it to home base, you're good, right? At home base, you're safe. Home base, you're safeguarded. What scripture says is that God is home base. What scripture tells us is that God is our high tower, He is our fortress he's our safeguard he is our shelter he conceals us from trouble so long as jesus exists you're safe and guess what jesus will forever exist our life is hidden it's sheltered it is safeguarded with christ and so long as jesus is good we're good and guess what jesus will forever be good so you are safe forever. You're concealed in him forever. His power will safeguard you forever. His love will defend you forever and ever and ever. He will, you will be protected under his watchful eye. And nothing, nothing, nothing that you do or anyone else does, nothing that happens tomorrow at work, nothing that matters with your health, nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing. Nothing. You are hidden in him forever. Is that good? (laughs) Folks, I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. That's that's the the goodness of the gospel. That's why we gather. That's why we preach. That's why we pray. That's why we sing. That's why we do Bible study. Folks, we are safeguarded forever by God who truly cares for us and loves us. This is who Paul is talking to, to. He's talking to those who have died with Christ. Those who have been raised with Christ and those whose life is hidden with Christ. That is a new person. And the question is, is that you? Are you one of those that this text is referring to? Are you someone who has died and been raised and has been hidden with Jesus? Is that true of you? Can you say with confidence and with integrity, yes, I am a follower of Christ? Can you say that? And the question really ultimately is, have you experienced the grace of God? Have you tasted of his goodness? Like, have you heard the gospel and not just heard it, but actually understood it and brought it in and, like, accepted it, consumed it, metabolized it into your soul? Do do you know, not think, not wonder, not even wishful thinking, do you know that Jesus Christ is the Son of Almighty God who came to earth, he took on flesh, he became one of us, lived among us, never sinned unlike us, went to a cross where he paid the cost of your sin that it may be separated and removed for you forever. Do you know that to be true? And have you given your life over to that truth? Have you? Have you been raised with him? So that that death has been separated. So, yeah, we may not look forward necessarily to that physical moment, that that weird moment when we breathe our last breath, but knowing that because of what's happening in your life spiritually, that what happens next is that you will see Jesus face to face. Do you know this? To be true? Are you a new person? Are you a follower of Christ? And if you're here and you have never embraced and grabbed onto that truth, you can do it right where you're sitting in the privacy of your own heart. It's between you and God. Just say, God, I confess. I confess that I'm a sinner. I confess that I lust and I gossip and I lie and I cheat. I'm angry all the time and I lack patience and I do everything that clearly isn't godly. Like this characterizes my life. I confess it. It's okay. God knows. He loves you anyway. Jesus proves it. Confess that you're a sinner. Repent of it. Turn from it. And yield to this message. Like submit your soul to the truth and the weight of this message. Submit yourself to Christ as Lord. Lord. Say, Lord, I'm going to, instead of following the things of the world, I'm just going to follow you from now on because I prefer that life. I prefer that new life. I want that new life. I'm tired of this old one that's obsolete that doesn't accomplish anything, doesn't get me anywhere, and only causes headaches and tension and problems and chaos. And if, if you were to do that, if you're here, if you're one of those other people, not a new person, not yet, If you would just give yourself over to that decision and to that truth right where you're sitting, guess what will happen? You'll die, you'll be raised, and you'll be hidden with Jesus forever right where you are sitting. An eternal, spiritual, profound, instantaneous transaction right where you sit, and you'll never be the same. If you have made that decision in the past, if you are someone like, yep, I know, I've tasted of grace, I know the gospel, I know Jesus, he's my Lord, he's my Savior, I'm down with that, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm down. Then what that means, folks, is that these verses were actually written to you. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 were written specifically to you. And what these verses call us to is to live in the new To live in the new life that God has given to you. Not according to the obsolete, old, former, fleshly, worldly pursuits. Not according to those things. But according to this updated, upgraded, uploaded, advanced life. This new life that he has given to you. And the way that you live in the new is by seeking and by setting. Seeking and setting. So look at verse 1. It says, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Jesus is in heaven right now, in case you didn't know. He died on a cross. He died. They buried him. Stone got rolled away. My my God, man, Jesus, stood up, walked out. Then he hung out with the disciples for 40 days, and then he rose up, he ascended up to heaven, and he is right now seated at the right hand of the Father. He is enthroned in heaven. So what that means is if our lives are actually hidden in him, what that means is that our lives are really where? Are in heaven. We've been given a spiritual, heavenly status in Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 just says it very simply. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're not even citizens, we live on earth, but we're not even citizens of earth. We're just kind of migrating through here for the time being. Our citizenship, our home, our homeland is up in heaven with God's presence. So, by God's grace, we are the people of heaven. We're the people of heaven. And what this text tells us is if we are people of heaven, as such, live as such. It's really what the text is getting to. In verse 1, the word seek, again, it doesn't have that something is lost, I got to find it kind of an idea. Again, God doesn't play hide and go seek with us. That's not what the word is saying. The word is calling us to orient ourselves to pursue the things of God. Seek in that, take a posture, a mental, emotional, spiritual, psychological, even sometimes physical posture of orienting your life so as to own this identity that Jesus has won for you. Act like you somebody. Because if you are in Christ, you are a citizen of heaven. And that means you be somebody so act like that somebody that he has called you to be and that he has gifted you into a new life. And really what this means is playing heaven. This is a call to play heaven. This is a little something. Uh, I'm going way back in the archives of my, my teaching career because we used to talk about this when I was a college and singles pastor. We need to be people who play heaven. We've got to play heaven. we got to play heaven. Um, isn't it amazing how when you watch children when they play, they give themselves over to what they're playing. Like, it's almost to them as if it's not fantasy. In a weird way, when, like, they're just kids, like, it's real to them. And so they give themselves fully over to the character or to the role that they're playing. So, like, a little girl, I mean, she is a princess at a ball. Or the dude, right? I mean, he is a soldier on the battlefield. Like, that's how kids play. And really, what we're called to do as adults is to play heaven with the same intensity and integrity, and passion, and zeal the way that kids play their games. The difference is that while kids play at something that is fantasy, we play at something that's very true, and we play at something that is, in fact, very real. You are a princess in God's kingdom, You are a prince in God's kingdom. There's nothing pretend about that. So you live it out. You act it out. You give yourself over to that that status that's been given to you. You are a soldier. You are a soldier on God's uh, battlefront. We are given a mission. So you own that. You own that, that identity that God has given to you. So you should live it fully and carry on this identity. Play heaven every day. Play. when you get out, just like, I'm playing heaven today. And when the bad stuff happens, you know what? I'm playing heaven. And when the good stuff happens, I'm playing heaven. I'm playing, I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm just going to play at this all day long. You know, there, there's a wonderful example of scripture of what this looks like. Acts chapter 16, uh, the apostle Paul and Silas, they're apprehended. They're stripped naked in public. They're beaten in public with rods They're thrown in a dungeon, and they're put in in stocks. In that same evening, you know what it tells us in the scripture they did? They prayed and sang hymns to God. That's playing heaven. They're saying, we're not going to let the worst of worldly trials and circumstances keep us from owning our status, that it is a heavenly status. They prayed, they praised, they sang, they prayed to God. They owned who it is that they were in Christ. They kept seeking God, right? They kept drawing near to, him. even when the stuff goes bad, they kept drawing near to God, seeking Him. They played heaven. They kept seeking the things above in order to draw the strength that they needed in the worst of situations. They kept seeking the things above to to receive something for that moment, right? That grace that God says that it's more than sufficient to get us through whatever it is we're going through. They kept playing heaven. We're seeking, we're seeking, we're seeking the things of God. They oriented themselves with a posture that they may receive that peace that they needed and that joy that they needed. The power that they needed in the moment. So, I mean, we can draw if you want to. So this is a choice. You can draw from your own strength to get to, through your problems. You can do that if you want to. The problem with that is that it's obsolete. Sure, life knocks us down, and we could, if we wanted to, choose to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. The problem with that is that that's tired. It's been done. And guess What? it doesn't work it's tired it's tiring it's been done it doesn't work at all we we can rely on those kinds of things we can rely on like antiquated fleshly strategies to get us through the nonsense that we have to go through but the thing is that it doesn't yield any good results can i get an amen for those of you who may know it just doesn't get us anywhere it doesn't it, there's nothing fruitful or productive so the other option is we can live live in and take full advantage of the life that God has given to us. We can live in, seek the things above so that I can live in the life that God has called me to live and one for me to live in. I can actually live the Christian life with all of its bells and whistles that God has promised and who has in fact already given many of those promises to us. We can partake of these daily new mercies. All we need to do is keep seeking. Keep seeking. Keep orienting yourself to the things above. How? Pray. 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 If there's a key to living in the new, it's actually just praying. Isn't that simple? So simple. You're expecting some, like, heavy theology at that point. Like, no, you seek the things above just simply by praying to God. Pride tricks us into thinking that we can manage our own junk. Self-reliance is ultimately a mirage. It's a spiritual mirage. It tricks us into thinking that we don't need God. Jesus said in John 15, verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. That's just Jesus' way of saying that we need Jesus all day, every day, in all things, and for all things. Every day we need Christ, and it's because he knows that we need him that he actually calls us to pray. So two verses after that, in John 15, verse 7, Jesus says, If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's in context of receiving the very things that we need. That's that's in the context of fulfilling our role. That's in the context of doing uh, what it is that God has called us to. That is in the context of seeking and abiding and knowing Christ and enjoying a relationship with him. So pray. Pray. It's through prayer that we seek God's mercies. It's through prayer that we we obtain what it is that we need. It's through prayer that we take full advantage of the life that God has given to you. You take full advantage of all the advantages that God has given you if you commit yourself to praying, seeking the things that are above it's through prayer that we seek the things that are above. And if, therefore, if we're not praying, we are by default doing what? We're kind of seeking the things down here. Like that's our default operating system. So we, we start doing stuff in the flesh and there's no joy in that. There's no power. There's, no, there's nothing good that just comes out of doing stuff in your own, out of your own flesh. So as far as prayer goes, some, many of you know, like we just finished a four-week, four-Wednesday night Bible study on prayer because I believe that this is something we all need to learn better and do more and understand and apply to our lives. Um, we're actually gonna be posting, I believe the audio to the Bible study tomorrow on our website. So if you miss one or two or three or four or whatever, listen to it. Maybe it's a good resource. It's a little different than listening to to this because there's a a little bit of activity and give and take and stuff. But I Just give yourself, like, listen to those messages. Listen to those Bible studies and give yourself over to a lifetime lifestyle of prayer so that you can seek the things above so that you can live in the new and not always go back to the obsolete, not always go back to the former fleshly ways of doing things. So we live in the new by seeking. And number two, we live in the new by setting, by setting. Look at verse two. It says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. To set your mind means to be intent on something. To set your mind on something does not mean being wishy-washy. It's the opposite of wishy-washy. It's the opposite of fickle. So Paul's saying, don't be fickle, right? Like what he's saying is, make a choice, make a decision, and stick to it. Specifically, make a commitment to keep the values of God's kingdom, is really what he's getting at. Set your mind on the things above. Set your heart, your mind, your soul on the values and the teaching, the truth, the promises, the grace that is heaven's. That is heaven's. You know, scripture says that Jesus is the head, he's the head of every believer. See, when we're not setting our mind on the things above, by default, we're setting our mind on the things down here. And we start chasing the things of the world. We start giving in more to temptation. And we start carrying out worldly desires, right? But, so when we don't set our, mi- our minds on Christ, who's our head, we're in essence like chickens running around with our head cut off, which is not a pretty sight. And it's pretty disturbing if you've ever seen it. Okay? Not a good thing, Right? <laughs> So that, that's what it's like. If we're not setting our mind above, we're, we're headless in a sense. Or it's like trying to take a DVD and playing it on a record player. You're just going to jack up your, DV, your DVD. Like, it's just not going to work. Not well. <laughs> right? It just doesn't work that way. Why? Because the technology is mutually exclusive. Like, it's not compatible. It's the same thing with us. When we give ourselves over to lying and cheating and gossip and lust and pornography and addiction, when we give ourselves over to those things, we're incompatible with the very life that Jesus called us to. In essence, we're called to live in the new, but we've given ourselves over to the old and what's obsolete and what doesn't work. And what we have to understand is that sin only hurts and harms It only destroys, there's nothing profitable, there's nothing economical about it, there's nothing productive about it, there's just nothing good that comes out of just, I'm just going to do what I want to do, however I want to do it, when I want to do it, with whomever I want to do it, regardless of the reason, I'm just going to do it. Nothing good comes out of, well, I know God says this, this way, but eh, I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to just pursue the worldly things. I'm going to default to setting my minds on the things below. Like, there's nothing good. It only hurts us and the people around us because that old stuff, like I've said, is obsolete. So imagine you're a convicted criminal. And, and it, it wasn't that you were charged wrongly. Like, no, you were guilty, straight up guilty. And the time comes that you've, you've paid your due like you've served your time, however many years, you've been 10 years in prison, and that day comes, just imagine what that would feel like. The jail cell like, comes crashing open, and you're told you're free to go. Like, how good would that be? How many of us in that moment would just stay there? Would just continue to sit in that prison? I, would, I doubt any of us would. If I'm free, you, I'm going to leave that cell and I'm going to leave that prison. I'm going to go do what free people do, right? Well, just know that when we set our minds on the things below, when we give our lives over to the sin, the lies, the malice, the gossip, the lust, the pride, the, the jealousy, the corruption, the sexual immorality, when we give ourselves over to that, it's like, like Jesus swinging the door open, saying you're free, and us just sitting in the jail. We read a scripture earlier that says that you are no longer enslaved by sin. And every time we give ourselves over, we're we're like putting the shackles back on. It's like, no, I prefer shackled, prisoned, old, sinful me than freedom. Than freedom. So we should look up to Christ who's our head. And live a life that is compatible with the life that He won for us so that we can enjoy that new, better, blessed, abundant, eternal life that is better for us in every way conceivable and imaginable. But we know that staying committed to that life is difficult, right? Like, like I wanna live in the new, I wanna live that out, but we know that's extremely challenging because of all like because we do have sinful hearts and there's distractions and all kinds of stuff. So I think to help us to live that life, we've got to remember what verse 4 says. Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, when he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, this is part of the gospel. Jesus is coming back. Yeah. Jesus is returning, and hopefully soon, and hopefully right now, I'll be honest with you. He is coming back. The heavens are going to get cracked open. There's going to be all kinds of light and music and sound and angels. And when he returns, there's going to be a display of power and glory unlike anything that has ever been seen in the cosmos. And you know why he's coming? For us. He's coming to gather his new people. He's coming to gather all who said yes to him, all who've embraced the gospel. He's like, come on. Let's go home. Let's go home. But what an amazing moment that will be. And so we know that's coming. Glory's coming. Jesus is coming. This world as we know it is actually obsolete, to be honest with you. It's just, a ma- it's just on a countdown, right? And knowing that that's the outcome makes all the difference in the world as far as how we live today. Does it not? Knowing that that will happen actually does influence and impact my ability to live the right way today. For example, I love the World Cup. I know it's not a very American thing, but I, for me, personally, like I love football and I love me some college basketball and I watch it all the time, but for me, for the money, the World Cup is the Sports spectacle in the world. It happens only four, once every four years. It's nation versus nation. If you're not from the U.S., it is everything. It's only in the U.S. It's not that big a deal. That's okay. All right. I love watching it. And so last week, there was this game. It's Germany versus Mexico. Germany is the perennial superpower. Like, they just are. They're one of the top two teams, nations in soccer in the world. Mexico actually finally has like a good squad. They're always terrible. This year, they actually have a good squad. So I wanted to watch it. But because the World Cup is in Russia, the games are early. So I wanted to record it, and it happened to be on a Sunday. So well, I'm, I got to be at church. So I can't play hooky to, go watch, to watch a game. So I recorded it. I recorded it. So I was going to watch it. I was going to watch, so I was, I was watch it after church. And I turned it on when I got home, and I'm watching this Germany versus Mexico game. It turned out I actually already knew before I started watching it who won. But that's okay. Like, with other games and sports, I'm going to watch it. If I know the outcome with World Cup soccer, I'm going to watch it anyway. So I sit there watching it, and then Edie, my 9-year-old, comes and sits down next to me. She didn't know who'd won. So she, she didn't even know who was playing. Like, who's playing? I said, it's Germany versus Mexico. And on her own, she just said, I'm pulling for Germany. I was like, all right. She's like, Germany's going to win. Well, I already know the outcome. I said, no, in fact, Mexico's going to win. Nope, Germany, Germany's going to win. Germany's going to win. She's insisting. And I was like, no, Mexico's going to win. Nope, Germany's going to win. Germany's going to win. I was like, all right. You want to bet? <laughs> it's true, it's a true story. It was very upsetting to her. But anyway, I said, all right, if Germany wins, I will take you to whatever store you want, and I will buy you anything you want. Her mouth is like, oh. And I said, but if Mexico wins for one hour, complete and total silence. And she's like, all right. (laughs) That's the Jamie coming out in her. So, game's over. Mexico wins. And she's like distraught and she's mad at me because she found out I knew. (laughs) And, and so I let her off the hook because it wasn't a fair bet. But here's my point. It made all the difference in the world with me being fearless and making that bet. Why? Because I knew the outcome. And as believers, we should live with the same fearlessness. I don't have a doubt as to how this game ends, y'all. Jesus is coming back. And so we can live with an abandonment over to the reality that Christ is returning. We can live with complete obedience. We can live with a heavenly and eternal perspective because heaven is coming. Eternity is coming. Christ is coming. Jesus came to free you from your sin, to free you from darkness, to liberate you from worldly pursuits that don't do any good. He came to free you from what's obsolete, from the world that is obsolete. And he came to give you a brand new life and to just thrive in that to thrive in that new life that he has given given to you. So really what this calls us to is to evaluate our lives. Evaluate our lives. Is what I'm doing moving me forward or is it moving me backwards? Is what I'm doing moving me upward or is it moving me downward? Am I seeking the things above? Am I setting my mind on the things above? Like today when you go home, when you're watching TV, when you're on your phone, when you're on your computer, when you're at work, whatever's happening, filter everything through the reality of who you are in Christ if you are a citizen of heaven. And if you're a citizen of heaven, it's like, would a citizen of heaven speak this way? Would a citizen of heaven do this? Would a citizen of heaven act in this way toward this person? evaluate everything through the prism of a being a new person in Christ given a new life in Christ. Folks, whatever you do, whatever you do, live in the new, don't live in the old. Thank you, Lord, so much for this morning and your word. I thank you so much for truth and grace. I thank you for the gospel, for not just information, but for knowledge and wisdom, Lord, to shake us out of complacency, Lord, to shake us out of old, antiquated, sinful ways of being and to point us toward that which is better and that which is right and that which is good. Lord, I thank you that you not leave us in our sin and judgment and despair, but that you came to free us and to liberate us. Jesus, you came to pay that cost on the cross. You sacrificed yourself in love for us. That we would be spared. Lord, that that our old lives and sin would be nailed alongside that cross with you. That we would die with you. That we would be raised to walk in newness of life. That our lives may be hidden in your heart forever and ever. And so, Lord, I ask that if there's anyone here who has not embraced that truth and that good news and your grace and your love, Lord, that you would take them by the hand now and that you would walk them across that threshold, that they would go from old to new. Lord, I pray that that gospel message would fall upon a heart that is receptive to it, and that it would reach out and embrace you as Father. And Lord, for some of us in here, what well, we, we realize that we have to confess some things to you and repent of some things because we've been living in the old, former ways that were nailed to the cross, Lord. So I pray whatever that is for each and every person, Lord, that they would just be humble and honest now to come clean with you and confess it. And Lord, beyond that, to repent of it, turn from it, that they may enjoy the full advantages of this life that you've given with all of its grace and power, with all of its mercy and wisdom, with all of its gifting and empowerment and spirit filling. And Lord, help us to all live with that heavenly, eternal perspective, knowing that you are coming and that you're coming soon, Lord. May we be found ready and prepared for that glorious day. Lord, help us All day, every day, in all things and in all ways, to live with you, being our all. For you are, in fact, all to us. In Jesus' name, amen.